Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing experts and whether we should trust them. So, British politician and prominent Brexit campaigner Michael Gove recently said, people in this country have had enough of experts. Um, and it's arguable that he was right, since soon after he said that, the UK voted to leave the EU, with the majority of UK voters ignoring the expert advice to stay in the EU. Um, so tell me, Nick, uh, what's going on here, and why, in this case, um, did these people ignore expert opinion, which I think was mainly economists, but I'm sure there were others as well. So why did these people ignore expert opinion, and were they rational in doing so? Um, yeah, so I suppose the, the question we ought to ask first is, what is an expert? And we get a lot of insight from um, a recent project called the Good Judgment Project, which, which I've, I've been involved in, um, which is sponsor, was sponsored by the US government and run by Professor Philip Tetlock, uh, who has been doing research into expertise, uh, particularly about political and economic matters um, for, for really the last sort of 30 or so years. Um, and uh, the, the, what, what that project set out to study was the extent to which um, people knowing about things, people being experts, made them more likely to, for, to get their forecasts right. And in this context, when we mean a forecast, we mean someone putting the right probability on a particular outcome. So um, the, this project essentially asked vast numbers of people, um, thousands of volunteers, uh, questions like, will um, Bashar al-Assad still be in power in Syria in a year's time? Or, um, you know, will uh, will the Scots vote for independence? And, mm. and those sorts of things. So very measurable outcomes. Uh, Well-defined outcomes. Yeah. And then looked at the probabilities that people put on those outcomes. And then um, sought really to find out what kinds of factors uh, influence influence people doing well so doing well in this context is you know for, for if you're for every 100 things that you put an 80% probability on uh, 80 of those ought to happen if it's if it's if it's 99 of those things or if it's you know only 10 of them mm-hmm. you're getting something wrong your probability is not well calibrated mm-hmm. and uh, what Tetlock found a very robust finding, which was that what you know, so what you what you know when you go into that project. So your level of expertise, your le- your, if you like, your level your level of depth of knowledge of something yeah. is not a good predictor of your ability to make good forecasts about that thing or or indeed about anything else. And that what determines good forecasting performance is actually the cognitive skills of the forecaster. So it's the methods and techniques that they use, the fact that they take account of um, base rates, which are essentially what's the sort of long run average frequency of things like this happening, and their ability to take what's known as the outside view, which is really to abandon the narrative based approach, which is sort of, oh, you know, this guy wants this to happen and then he's going to do this and somebody else is going to do that, and take more of a statistical approach. So, okay, so for example, one thing, so let's say, um, if to, to use the case that you talked about, will Assad be in power in one year from now, in two years from now, etc. So you could go to a bunch of Middle East experts um, or Syrian experts and ask that question, or you could go to um, 
um, someone who knows nothing about the Middle East, knows nothing about Middle East politics, but um, has a, you know, uh, who, whatever decisions they make, let's say that they're, for want of a better word, they're an engineer, for example, and they're used to applying processes and method- methodological um, rigor to their decision-making process. And if you present that person with certain facts or certain bits of information, then this study showed that that second person is more likely of coming out with a better um, response. Is that yeah. so that's what yes, you're saying? Yes, right. Much. So this is, and it's not that they're coming. It's not a total ignorance. It's not that they they don't need facts. Right. They need to be able to get hold of facts, and that will point to something I think which we'll almost certainly discuss. But uh, about the types of expertise and and demand for different types of expertise. But um, but the point is yes. I mean that that actually a Syria expert who didn't have um, good forecasting uh, methods would do worse than someone who came at it totally cold uh, but who used robust forecasting methods okay. and in this case that would involve for example saying well what it you know what other situations have been like this in the past who have there been any other kind of embattled leaders in civil wars and and what tends to happen to them and you know what reasons have we to believe that this situation is different okay so that could re um reframe our definition of an expert because it could an expert could just be someone with excellent forecasting skills rather than knowledge um is that one of the things we're potentially saying uh peter um yeah i think so i mean i, I think just to just sum, summarize something that nick, nick nick suggested that there, in extreme in the extremes there are two types of experts you can split the uh, the, the spectrum up so on one end you have one class of experts you have the the, the methodologist the the person who would probably say i don't know anything about anything but i know how to use the data i've got available to form an opinion about what might happen on the other end you have the 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 and they, they're sometimes called foxes so they're they're referred to as foxes by tetlock and and, and and previous writers then on the other end you have the 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 knowledge driven people who may know lots and lots of specific things about a topic um, and they will rely on these knowledge and be able to spin together a logically consistent narrative about what might happen. Um, uh, so they're, they're, and they're sometimes called hedgehogs. They, they're often said that they know one thing very well, rather than and they, and they will. And they're called hedgehogs. And they're called hedgehogs. Why? Yeah. Um, do hedgehogs know how to do one I think thing it's really well? I think it's in reference to the way the hedgehogs will sort of curl themselves up in a ball and um, uh, be stubborn about something. I think that's what it. I'd say yeah, it's a reference to a to a story by uh, or a, a kind of parable by Isaiah Berlin. But, but that's the idea. Sorry, I interrupted your flow there. Sorry, I got I got diverted by hedgehogs. What the, how we define experts at the moment? I think is 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 a uh, little dangerous. I think the the. The, the people who are able to spin together a nice sounding, logically consistent, complex story are quite appealing. I mean, they, they, you know, stories are appealing things. They, 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 they appeal to people and they're often easy messages to pick up and, uh, and to understand and pass on. Um, whereas looking at lots of data and saying that this is, this is objectively the best thing to do within, these, within, this, within, this, out, within this goal, uh, that's quite maybe a bit boring maybe a bit geeky and diff- much more difficult message to explain especially if you're having to it's predicated on complicated statistical methods and things. sorry i want to stop you there sorry to interrupt you but it sounds like all, we, all you're saying it's not all you're saying but between the two of you what you're saying is that this is a, a qualitative approach versus a quantitative approach and the quantitative approach um is superior which is kind of what you always say with stuff um and <laughs> 
But I think what's interesting is, is as much as you know, one can keep saying that and the statistics back it up, I think what's interesting is, and although we, I know we didn't start this, this, I mean, this, what we're talking about is whether we should trust experts or not. So we've been talking about, well, what is an expert? But what is interesting is that people don't, you know, whether, it doesn't matter what kind of expert it is, because it could, in this case, it could have been someone who knows a lot about the effects of, uh, an economist who knows a lot about the European and the potential effects, or it could be a statistician um, who can, both those different kinds of experts would have a, a, a similar opinion, let's say, and yet still people don't listen to them. So, well, I mean, no, let's qualify that, right? So people listen to their doctors. Mm. people uh listen to uh their piano tuners mm. you know the, no people don't try and do that themselves people don't uh you know people listen to their builders and their painters and decorators people listen to their plumbers their boiler people uh listen to their car mechanics you know no, no one i mean very few people try to fix their own cars people don't pay much attention to to people who are supposedly experts about big complex systems like the economy and like the you know the political environment and i would say probably with with some justification uh because um you know they don't actually have a very good track record um there are there are reasons to distrust them not just you know by looking at um tetlock's uh work specifically by looking at that study but but also the fact that they don't um, tr- generally, people, you know, pundits on TV, uh, people who set themselves up as experts, commentators, do not, you know, routinely publish their track record. Mm. Now, y- oh. you know, if someone comes to try and fix your boiler and they, they accidentally blow your house up, they're going to end up, you know, probably not getting very much work. And, you know, in this day and age, getting a bad review um, on, uh, you know, uh, on, on the internet. So, so uh, it, it, I think... Gove is touching on something which is, you know, quite justifiable, which is that experts about the big issues um, do not have a very good record, actually. Let's come to that in a second. So, um, Peter, you wanted to say something there when we were talking about track records. Exactly. So I think a technocratic solution might be um, replicating some of the functionality that the Good Judgment Project used when they were running this uh, large-scale experiment where they tracked and recorded people's performance in forecasting. It'd be quite easy to imagine a similar system used for experts of all kinds, answering questions of all different types, classified in different buckets. And you could, you could, um, based on people's previous performance, decide how much you were going to listen to them on a particular topic. So Nick might be an expert in Syrian politics, um, but he might be atrocious at uh, Russian economy. I just want to point out that I'm atrocious at both of those things. Yeah. So, hypothetically speaking, um, but so I would, so I could look at, look up his sort of portfolio, his CV of things that he's been right and wrong about, and I would definitely go to him about Syria, but not about Russia. Um, and it would be quite easy, quite easy to run. Uh, uh, if it was run as some sort of uh, market, then it could be self-funding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think what's interesting that Tetlock uh, found was that he invited lots of these so-called pundit-like experts to be involved in this experiment. And I think almost universally, nobody wanted uh, to be involved because they 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 sort of recognise that the ground that they stand on is quite tenuous, um, and the, the the to be actually scored on how accurate they are would probably be detrimental to their 
to their career because they, they they've made they've made a living out of uh, making uh, making statements, making judgments, making predictions, but never actually being held accountable or or or, or sort of uh, retrospectively scored. Yeah, I built a mini career on that for two and a half years as a country risk analyst, and thank God our um, you know no none of us were interested in having our results sort of checked because God knows what it might throw up. I think, well, luckily, probably no one actually read or acted on what you wrote. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, it's Well, actually, to be honest, that was part of it. It was a disconnect. Maybe this is something we're talking about here. There was very much, I mean, one of the reasons I, I left being an analyst, and I know I've mentioned this to you before, is I had no idea what was happening to my analysis. You know, were multi-million, billion-pound decisions being made on it, or was no one reading it at all? We had no idea. But that's that's an interesting thing, and that might be a whole other topic for a whole other podcast. But the idea of feedback. So you you you'd be nice as an analyst to be incentivized by what feedback you, by what what your analysis was used for, would incentivize you to make better analysis. And I think that's a, a common problem is the, um, the 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 lack of feedback. But I just want to something else I wanted to mention is that. Um, there's lots of work by um, people like uh, Gary Klein and Daniel Kahneman looking at w- how decisions are made and what rationality means and how much you should rely on your gut versus how much you should yeah. not rely on your gut and ignore your gut and rely on the data available. And I think it's been shown, Gary Klein particularly, um, is in f- he's a b- big fan of the the sort of learnt and developed heuristics, the kind of instinctive decision making that many people <coughs> use, such as firefighters, is an example he he often cites. Where if you're in a, if you're very regularly in situations with lots and lots of things going on, so you're a firefighter, mm. uh, with very sort of visceral feedback about yeah. your about decisions being right or wrong, you can you can develop these these decision making heuristics these sort of shortcuts that means you don't have to use your rational brain you can your 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 other parts of your brain can tell you what to do without actually without you actually consciously knowing what to do so in situations where you get reg you you, you're making lots of decisions of a similar type and you get very sort of obvious feedback about whether it was right or wrong Mm. you can develop a sort of subconscious decision making mechanism that can in some cases could be relied on quite rationally and actually this is um an issue which uh, has a parallel in the development of um machine learning and the kinds of things that we know that machine learning at, at least at the current levels of technolo- technology uh, are good at so um the there was a a, a um uh, learning architecture developed, I think, funded by Google, uh, but uh, called DeepQ, which um, learnt to play computer games. And the computer, the computer games that it did well on were the ones where there was an immediate type of feedback. So where you know you shot an alien and then got points for it. And the one, and the things it did badly on were the things where the uh, the the distance between action and reward was 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 distant. So ones that it required advanced planning, where you had to you know pick up a key, go through a door. You know, climb up a ladder and then pick something up, and that's when you got points. Um, you, you know, so be that cl- the proximity of your decision to the feedback you get for that decision is absolutely crucial in determining um, the the extent to which someone is is able to acquire expertise. Okay, let's wrap up there. Um, so, if we go back to our original question. Um, we're discussing experts and whether we should trust them. 
So what's our conclusion? What's our, let, wrap this up. I, I would say trust experts if they have um, got a demonstrable track record. If there is no track record, um, no reason to trust them. And, um, no. you know, we need no, to... No, 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 no. What? Because I think well, this is but this is what we're talking... I think this is one of the problems. This is one of the issues, is that it's all very well saying, um, you know, find the track record. One, what about if there is no track record? But actually, probably more importantly, most people don't care. And people tend to be quite apathetic or lazy about... Um, they just want to know what the right decision is, or they'll go. I don't think people go into it that that as much as you're saying. Whether well, I'm it's saying what they ought big to questions. do. I'm saying what they ought to do. I don't care what they do do. If people want to go around ignoring everything, that's fine. Um, you know, they'll may end up making bad decisions. But it, but the kind, but you know, if somebody has got so, so that sorry, as well as you know, looking, have they got a track record? Um, the other key thing is look at their methods. So you know, are, are they are, are their methods? the kinds of methods that we should expect to produce true beliefs. So, Peter, what would you suggest people should do in terms of listening to experts or not? Well, to mirror a point Nick made, um, don't get swept up by a, a compelling story. Um, find analysts who have considered multiple options. But um, define what your success criteria are, so if you, as closely as possible, so you've, it's a measurable point, um, and track and maintain performance your own performance and performance of others um i mean it's it's not easy it's not like there's an easy checklist of how how you should trust someone um you have to put a bit of work in yourself okay we'll wrap it up there um it's not easy you have to do a bit of work yourself but um, but i just one fi final thing yeah is the the skepticism that gove expressed yeah. is justified but it, the response is not to throw out all kinds of expertise the response is to be more sophisticated in, in our approach to to evaluating it okay so to slightly modify uh shakespeare don't kill all the economists right don't kill all the don't kill all the experts i, I don't even did shakespeare say something well he like said that? kill all the lawyers I oh think. i see yeah i think he said that so um, I, I suspect one of the characters in one of his plays said that uh i suspect that you have quoted you've cited that more accurately than i just did okay so um that's um experts and should we should we trust them so um thank you very much um i'm fraser mcgrew i've been here with nick Hare and peter coghill of aleph insights as part of our regular cognitive engineering podcast thank you for joining us and until next time bye bye mm -hmm.